0: When you're listening to Battle Red Radio. This evening, I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest of them all, our good pal BFD. How are you doing tonight, man? Woo! Yeah. Uh, so, football is here. And did you know that Deshaun Watson is beautiful and perfect? And it's devastating how badly the Houston Texans screwed up this past season. And it's even more spectacular how this offseason just keeps getting worse and worse and worse as we get further and further removed from it.
1: <laughs> i i tell you i, I just want to say first I, I know that you know once again i like to say matt always has this really great prepared you know outline for the show and and he didn't give us any time to like talk about just deshaun watson and how we want to have his children even though we're not biologically capable of that so uh i, I you know
0: <laughs> i'm gonna i'm going build a spaceship Fly to an alien planet so I can get the ability to like, like have like a uterus installed inside of me so I can have Deshaun Watson's children. That's how good he was this game.
1: He's ridiculous. He is just there are just no superlatives left to describe him and and to do it with the offensive line that he's got with the poor play calling head coach that he's got. Who did a better job? We'll talk about that later. Who did a better job? I I just am in awe and some of the throws he made yesterday especially where he had to step up into the pocket and was throwing the ball downfield, especially to to Hopkins where he hit him in the middle of the field a couple times with just absolute lasers and where he's under su- just supreme duress and he's still able to make throws like that. It's just like my heart flutters.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean like those he, he took some big hits on some of those throws too. And if I play quarterback, I would just lay down and say, no, I'm not going to get hit by Cam Jordan running full speed on a stunt and throwing the ball deep to Hopkins. Like it's it's awesome some of the things that he's able to pull off.
1: It's 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 just a, it's beauty. It's it's truly art. Deshaun Watson has brought playing quarterback to an art form.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we'll talk about the offense first then. I mean the offensively this team is a lot of fun to watch. They scored twenty eight points yesterday. I for going into the year I thought they had to score a minimum, a minimum of twenty seven points a game. To even be in the conversation to have to play shootouts against passing offenses like the Saints have. Uh, like the Falcons should have. Like I think the Panthers could have. Uh, like the Bucks m- may be able to pull off on paper. Uh, the Raiders passing offense already looks a lot better last night. You know, they still play the Chiefs, they play the Patriots. They play a lot of really good quarterbacks in passing offenses this season. And you know, Gardner Vishnu uh, was awesome, you know, last Sunday too. So I thought like, you know, around 27, 28 points a game was what they're gonna have to score. To even get an opportunity to have to be able to play one possession games, and this happened yesterday. They scored twenty eight points. Deshaun Watson attempted eleven passes over ten yards in the air and five over twenty last night. Uh, he completed three out of the five his attempts over twenty yards for under twenty nine yards and one interception. And that one interception was by Marcus Williams, who's playing the free safety part of the field. It looked like Watson kind of underthrew it to Fuller on a on a corner route, and he came over and undertook it. And that interception. Uh, kind of ended like a, a drive that probably would have had points for it as well, too. So, like, with Watson, he dealt with a lot of pressure, made a lot of great throws, but uh, first I want to talk about the offense itself. Do you think Bill O'Brien and Tim Kelly called a better offensive game plan they previous had with Watson, especially going back to last year? And did you see anything that they left on the table at all or any other options and possibilities to be able to move the ball, maybe get that offensive total to, you know, maybe 31 points or 34 points?
1: I do think there were some opportunities they left on the table. I think they got too run-heavy at times. Again, even though the run game was very effective yesterday, which shocked the mm-hmm. heck out of me, I'll tell you that. Um, I, I do think that they could have done a little bit more, but I mean, was, a lot of the things that needed to be done needed to be done in the off season, right, which is improving that offensive line much more than we did. And and you could see the results of that when you had Watson just running for his life so often during that game. That's where you left a lot of it on the table, I think, is is during those opportunities. The other thing that caught me off guard is what I saw the saints doing toward the end of the game was only rushing three with a, um, one spy Mm -hmm. and, and they, they just weren't as effective that way, but they were also getting burned by Watson when they were blitzing. Watson was picking up, Oh, they're blitzing in man coverage. I'm going to go run for 20 yards. So the saint scheme changed a little bit too radically for me to adjust to that. And that threw me off guard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked this offensive game plan a lot more than previously because again they threw the ball downfield they yeah. attempted 11 passes over 10 yards they attempted five over 20 yards like that's what you have to do whenever you have guys like Hopkins and Fuller and even Kenny Stills had that big catch in the game too but like, the receiving talent's been here and I think last year you know we gave this offense a lot of grief for their how conservative they were and how ineffective they were and I think a lot of that did have to do with you know losing Fuller and the receiving talent and the offensive line and everything else Uh, I still wish that they were more aggressive last year because of it, but you know, in in a vacuum or not necessarily in a vacuum, but uh, whenever you like think about the actual situation they were in, it makes more sense now. But yeah, like last night, just the ability to be more aggressive, push the ball downfield, I think was great. The one thing I thought they ran into that was a problem was that whenever they went up by you know uh, two scores, they went to that same old, hey, we're gonna run the ball, we're gonna take our time now again. We're going to hit the brakes on this whole thing. And then here come the Saints, and now they have a lead. And now we're pushing it back, and we're revving back up again. And I think Bill O'Brien, right now the biggest problem he has as far as an offensive play caller goes, uh, or I guess working in unison with the offensive play caller, whoever is calling plays nowadays, days, it's that he adjusts to the situation, the opponent, like way too much. His goal should just be, hey, my defense isn't going to be good. And I don't think he's realized how bad the defense is going to be this year just yet. But the defense is going to be bad, and I need to make sure I can score as many points as possible and not punt the ball whenever I have at their 40-yard line, uh, not have possessions where I have three runs or call a screen to Hopkins on second and 14, and things like that. And I think as soon as he understands that this defense is bad, I think that's the the next step this offense needs to have to be able to you know get to 31 points a game, potentially.
1: Yeah, and he didn't even make— uh bill o'brien didn't even make that sean payton decision to, to punt on our 40 was maze balls or yeah. whatever it was 45 that was like i cannot believe payton did that uh, and that almost lost the game for them i think in a lot of ways because man they were just right there it was like fourth it was a fourth and two or fourth and mm-hmm. one and a half and they punted anyway i just want to bring that up that that hey o'brien did things that were kind of out of his you know kind of sense of of uh, you know, his comfort area. And that was nice to see. And that's the thing. If we can, cont- if he continues to do that, this offense can't put up, I think this offense could put up 30 plus points a game if it wanted to. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I also want to talk about the play call Brian had on fourth and one uh, in the red zone where they ran that quarterback read. And mm-hmm. you see, and you see down da- I think it was Davenport was the right defensive in that play and you see him shift down. He follows the the handoff to the running back and there's not another player in the alley at all whatsoever. And so whenever he keeps it, and then you have, I think it was Akins pulling back around and blew mm-hmm. the block, and Akins made it. I mean, he's a ter- he's a bad blocker. Uh, I know Jordan Thomas the same problem too. They have bodies to block, but they don't block very well. But Watson was still able to slip around that tackle attempt after the make Akins miss block, jump over the defender and score, and you know ride around in pain for a little bit, and not be able to celebrate his uh, his work and the effort he put into it. But that was a great play call, and like I I would like to see Watson use it as a runner more again but you kind of run the risk of him getting hurt, but at least like O'Brien still on his back pocket and using it in situations where he'll use him as a runner and try to get him out in space and take advantage of you know, heavy boxes and kind of do something out of the norm in those situations too.
1: Yeah. Cause uh, that's a perfect example of putting so much stress on one player. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did to Marcus Davenport on that RP. I, I guess it was kind of an art was an option or an RPO. I don't know, but, um, you put so much stress on that one player after he shifted down, and the second that he came in, and Watson had he just had nothing but green around that left side. It was a beautiful read by Watson. It was, you know, again, it was art. Last yeah. night was watching art.
0: Yeah, I can't remember what player I watched on Sunday. I watched defensive end though come down on the fake and then chase out wide and tackle the quarterback on a on his own read. I was like, yeah, that's the. I can't remember who it was. I'm really mad. I'm blanking on the name. But I was like, this is one of the best plays I've seen in a while. Uh, I know I have it at gift save whenever I start writing about what I <laughs> liked about the week to, to pull out there. But, yeah, like I I love that play. I loved a lot of things that they did. Like I liked how they used Fuller in the slot a lot, and they used uh, Hopkins in the slot a lot to be able to take advantage of P.J. Williams. Williams was really bad last year, and they were having him play as their outside cornerback, and the Eli Apple trade really helped New Orleans uh, secondary. And then Houston did a really good job attacking P.J. Williams specifically to get Fuller open and get Hopkins open. And the, and the the weird thing with Hopkins too is he had three drops last night after yeah. after being called for zero drops the year before and so that was kind of strange but he still caught two touchdowns and had 111 receiving yards anyways.
1: Yeah, and that was that was kind of funny because one other source said he had three drops last year, so I don't know what the true number is.
0: Yeah, I saw him with a drop last year in the Jets game for sure, and I was like, <laughs> I this is this looks like a drop. It's kind of like that PFF thing where they say Andrew Norwell gave up. Zero pressures, not in 2018, 2017, and I watched like a Panthers game. Like that's a pressure right there. You know where is it? (laughs) I thought y'all are. I thought y'all are perfect, and y'all. I'm aside for you know PFF side note I've been so angry lately because they're like just propagating even more propaganda about. Hey, look, this is pffs really good because we take into account this play. This should be interception. Well, just have a staff that's dropped interceptions and putting into your player grade that is bad and isn't useful at all. And it's completely just like warped to make football discussion a lot worse.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> um, So it, yeah, let's talk about that. Will Fuller throws well too. Cause I think that was kind of like the first play that really broke this offense open where he threw a, a pass to fuller for a long at 54 yards. Fuller burned the, I think it was PJ Williams he burned and he was able to jump over him and he'd be able to come down with the ball as well too. I was really afraid that Fuller was gonna like break his collarbone whenever he came down, but he was able to to stay strong and, and healthy and make that throw. Are you like every time you see Fuller make a play like that, are you really impressed to see how far he's come from his you know time at Notre Dame to now where he's actually high po- high pointing the football and making catches like that?
1: Yeah, because I mean, that was his you know, reputation coming out was he was just kind of a one trick pony. And he's running. He's running their outfeed now. He's running just about anything you want from him. And with his speed and explosiveness, he—he's I mean, a dangerous dude. If he's—if he's—he's one of those guys. If he ever stays healthy, then he's going to put up huge numbers. Of course, that's the catch. Mm-hmm. He's got those little chicken legs, and you know. But he's man. He's fast, and his hands are are more than capable.
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, I think he could have a 1,200 yard season if he actually stays healthy. But he only had three targets this year, this game. Uh, which was kind of strange from Fuller. I would have, I would expect from to have a little bit more. I do think the offensive time kind of became a little too reliant on on Hopkins. Uh, also, that Hopkins Marshawn Lattimore battle was a lot of fun to watch. Like Lattimore, I think has gotten so much stronger as like his you know career has progressed over the last two years. And some of those closeouts he made and like the way he hit Hopkins on some of these uh, targets were well, It's like watching Jalen Ramsey out there. The way Ramsey's able to close down and just splatter receivers.
1: Yeah, it, um, was it the first quarter he had a big one? Where he just, he drove Hopkins back, what was it, five or seven yards after the catch? That I, I didn't realize he played with that much power until last night, and he just, he's, he's a little bit scary. Mm-hmm.
0: So the, I, and I think the big thing that's kind of come out of this game is that, yeah, it takes more than a Laramie Tunsil to have a good pass protection. <laughs> the Texans traded two first-round picks, a second-round pick for Tunsil, and they've Mortgage their ability to add cost effective talent around Deshaun Watson whenever he's gonna be paid $35 million a year, or even if we're looking at you know two years from now, uh, whenever he signs a contract extension, I would guess be next year. So, I wouldn't say you could say like he's gonna make 40 million a year, but I think he's gonna probably make you somewhere between 32 and 35 million whenever he gets extended. And they lost the ability to add cost effective talent uh, by making those picks. And so, last night, Watson was sacked six times, he was hit 11 other times. And these pressures and hits came from all throughout the Saints' defense. They had seven from their defensive line. They had one from a linebacker from Anzalone, and they had three from their secondary. And so, again, like despite adding Tunsil, the pass protection was still bad. And another, I think the example I want to keep going back to is everybody mentions Andrew Luck as a reason why the Texans had to make this trade because Luck was hit 452 times. He had the football beat out of him. But Anthony Costanzo was pretty good at left tackle during the entire time. It was the rest of the offensive line that was the problem. It was Jonathan not very good, and Samson Satelli, and Joe Haig, and Joe Wrights, and these sort of guys. And Watson was still hit 11 times in this one, too. So like, are you expecting the pass protection to improve as the season goes along? Uh, or do you think this is just going to be a lot like last year, but it's just going to be coming from the left side of the line just a little bit less?
1: I think it's—so what we saw last year, and I just want to go back to it, because I, I think, you know— to be intellectually um, sound is that the the offensive line did improve last year as the year went on. I mean, Mm -hmm. it never got to the point of being great, but as these guys play together and start together, they do get better as a unit. We did see that to a certain extent last year. Of course, the Colts, they came in and and decided, hey, we're just going to blitz from the slot corner and kill you guys anyway, Mm -hmm. Um, which, I mean, that was the playoff game, right? was blitz from the slot corner. We can't stop them. So um, they are going to improve how much they're going to improve. I don't think it's going to be a tremendous amount this year because we've got a lot of guys out there who kind of proven commodities at this point in time, right? Zach Martin's always going to be whomever Zach Martin is. And I called him Zach. Nick Martin's always. Going to be I, ca- I call Martin.
0: I I call call him Doug a lot. And I don't know why. <laughs> That's I don't know who Doug. Mar- oh, Doug Martin's the running back. The running yeah. back. Yeah. I was like, who's Doug Martin? I keep calling him that. But yeah. <laughs>
1: That's at nice. least I'm getting his brother. <laughs> um, so, so you know, Martin's who he is. Fulton's who he is. You know, we, we know what these guys' upsides are at this point. Henderson's who he is. Um, you know, Calamete had a interesting game last night. So, you know, I don't know, like, how much upside these guys really have. They're going to gel to a certain degree. But at least with, with, with uh, Julian Davenport, you can say, hey, this guy has even got some upside as a football player. And so he improved. And you can see the improvement as the year went on. I, I don't see where any of these guys on the line have that. So at one point in time, you say, okay, I'm done with, with Kelamete. Let's put Titus Howard there. And you can, then you can say, okay, we're going to get worse for the short term, but maybe for the long term we get better. And I think yeah. those are, we're going to have to start making those decisions at some point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think ultimately the probably the most frustrating thing about this game from offensive line perspective is that it's week one. They've had five months to try to figure out an offensive line configuration. And I guess you make it four months. if, you, if we, Let's go after the draft. So they've had about four and a half months to figure out where they want their offensive line to be for week one. It's week one, the 2019 season. They have never used this configuration before. It's Tunsell. It's Calamente. It's Martin. It's Fulton. It's Henderson. And like I, I, I 100% think that Bill O'Brien win this year thinking Matt Khalil could be the left tackle for this team. He gave him $7.5 million to do so. It became immediately apparent that he can't do that. And then as the season got closer and closer, he tried to trade Clowney for a left tackle. It never happened. That trade never materialized. Ruined their entire relationship with Clowney. to him being traded. And then now here they are where they make this ridiculous trade for Tunsell to fill this position because they <laughs> put them back themselves into a corner and now they're kind of stuck here with it. And so now you have this offensive line that you had all summer to try, like, try it out and figure out and now they're scrambling week one, and they're already trying to figure this thing out. Uh, and I think that was kind of the biggest issue. Like You saw uh, this, you saw New Orleans run a ton of stunts. That worked out really well. And they also brought one guy from the edge and one guy from the B-gap, and the Texans didn't know which guy to block. And you consistently had guys who blocked nothing, who slid down when they should have blocked their man, uh, who blocked the outside guy instead of the inside guy. They let a Watson get creamed as well, too. And so like the, the blitz pickup is still an issue, and it goes back to last year as well, too. And so this is what happens whenever you have an offensive line that doesn't have any continuity and lacks any guys that have actually played together for any amount of reasonable time. And again, they've had four months to do this to get together and get to know each other. And uh, I don't think I think this can be a consistent problem for you know at least the first four mo- for at least the first four or five games of the season, and uh, probably even longer than that too.
1: That that's why these that's why it's so important to gel with your <laughs> offensive line mates and and oh my god it's infuriating to say the least the way that bill o'brien and mike devlin handled the offensive line because they just don't see that and i know we're probably going to get into it later and then you do something really freaking stupid and sign nick martin to an extension with a lot of guaranteed money
0: you got right that time
1: yeah oh no i I pulled it up to make sure i got it right um so uh so you sign nick martin to guaranteed money and it's like why in the hell would you do that like like, have you not watched this guy play? But here's the thing. He's a Bill O'Brien kind of guy. Yeah. So the talent level doesn't really matter. What matters to Bill O'Brien is that he kind of checks all the boxes, which is weird because Nick Martin like misses a, misses a lot of practices. He's not very good at his job. You know, Bill O'Brien, the general manager, is already a trash heap. Yeah.
0: Well, and whenever uh, Seth was on the pod this summer, whenever we previewed the Texans, and like that preview became quickly like in shambles two weeks later. Uh, but he, I asked him about you know Clowney, like why he thought this Clowney extension didn't get done. And he said, well, Clowney hasn't really been an O'Brien guy. I think, and I guess the best way to kind of describe it is that he's not in the weight room for twelve hours like J.J. Watt and that sort of thing, uh, and they just never really gel personality wise. But he said Nick Martin is an O'Brien guy for whatever reason. O'Brien loves Nick Martin. And here we are with O'Brien as the Nick Martin as with as the GM extending Martin for three years, thirty-three million dollars, eighteen and a half million dollars guaranteed, which pays him like top five at his position. And we're not talking about a center who's like really good. He also plays a non premium position. You're also talking about a team that doesn't have its first two draft picks for next season, is missing a, a second round draft pick as well too. And so they don't have like even though they have a bunch of cap space going forward going to next offseason they don't really have that much because of the Watson extension without the first round picks and so now you're tying up a bunch of money to a, a below average player and like you don't kill your cap by playing by paying like really talented players a lot of money you kill your cap by paying you know average to below average players a lot of money and they did exactly this by extending Nick Martin for what they did it for
1: and that's it and so now when you go to extend Deshaun Watson you're gonna have this massive albatross of the twenty fourth, twenty-third best center in the league who's making all this guaranteed money. I mean, this this does not make any sense on any level. And that, that's the sort of stuff we're gonna be fighting because we're gonna to have to extend Tunsil. we're gonna to have to extend Watson. Those two guys alone are gonna break the bank.
0: Yeah, and and even looking this year too, like I'd rather wait, see how he plays this year, and I'd rather look at if, see if Fuller stays healthy or not. Like I'd much rather have Fuller for a contract like that than have Nick Martin, for example, and uh, and I also like you mentioned before in the in the threads and I think on Twitter as well too that you know, Martin's their third best center. I think you can make the case that Manx is is better than he is in the run game. I don't think Manx is the same pass protector, but he's better than him in the run game. And then Zach Fulton I think would be a much better center. And I think getting Fulton at center and playing somewhere else at right guard, like even Sharping be better because at least you have some development there as well too. Um, but I think that's frustrating. And guess what? Nick Martin's uh, PFF grade was last year.
1: Oh God, it's ready? like fifty. 50- Four. Like. Fifty 54.6. Woo! I I just yeah. yeah. I saw it once like <laughs> 2 weeks ago. And, and not, he's not even the best in the AFC South.
0: Yeah, he's like the fourth ranked center in the AFC South. He's worse than Ben Jones. I I, I would think that he's, you know, like all like if you think about the rest of the AFC South, Brand Linders a really good center. Uh, ben Jones is perfectly adequate. He got a recent extension as well too. And then you have Ryan Kelly who's been great whenever he's been healthy.
1: Which once again just shows how ridiculous extending Nick Martin was I, you know i, I I'm, I'm speechless, I'm really speechless with that because it's i mean it's it's akin to extending like Salmente for for more time because i mean they're they're about the same level of player I mean Nick Martin is not a good center he's Zach Fulton I'd rather have Fulton there I'd rather have Manx there, no. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, and Martin's a fine pass protector. And like I've been saying, you can take any sports, like a designated hitter who bats, like, 250, even the batting average is antiquated, but it's really fast. Like, it's cool that he has speed on the bases, but it's not that important for the position he plays. And so I think Martin being paid as much as he is, is it's absurd. And uh, and so, like, not having a general manager just keeps continuing to bite Houston, especially considering the Clowney trade and everything else that's happened. Um, so on offense... I guess we can stop talking about the... Well, on the offensive line, going back to it, the running game was really good. Uh, Carlos Hyde, at 83 yards on 10 carries. Duke Johnson at 57 yards on 9 carries. And like watching these two guys, they, I mean, their speed really jumped off. Like, both of them looked faster than Lamar Miller ever did whenever he was in Houston, because we like we talked about before, he gained a lot of weight, and they really mismanaged how they used him here. And also, just not watching Alfred Blue is so beautiful. Oh, like, God, it's wonderful. I, I, I almost <laughs> cried. Whenever Duke Johnson caught a dump off pass on third and seven, uh-huh. broke a tackle and got first down, was so like, "This is the most beautiful." Uh, uh, there's so many curse words I want to say, but like this is I was like seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time. Like I cried. I was so it was so beautiful. It was sublime. I couldn't believe it. Uh, but they just look. They just have a lot more speed at that position too. And so this also came against the run defense that ranked third in defensive DVOA against the run last year too. Uh, so what did you see specifically from the run game to attack New Orleans and how were they able to create some yards on the ground as effectively as they did?
1: I, I don't know. I'm kind of speechless because I couldn't see, I wasn't able to pick up on anything very specifically. Like he, there were just gaping holes everywhere in a lot of the runs too. Oh my gosh. I cannot remember. cannot believe. I can't remember his name. The running back for Tennessee who had like the four, two, eight speed. Oh my gosh. I can't remember his name.
0: The Tennessee Titans,
1: yeah, about a decade ago. Um,
0: uh, Chris Johnson,
1: yes, Chris Johnson. Cjy two k. There were a lot of Chris Johnson kind of runs too, where they would go nowhere for like four carries and then they break off a twenty yard run, Mm -hmm. and so there it was like it was kind of just weird all around.
0: Yeah, the biggest thing I saw was that they were able to get a lot of um, a lot of yards. From running in smaller boxes, so they weren't dealing with you know base defenses. They were going into nickel uh, defenses. And the other thing I saw too is that I think Fulton had a really great game as a as a run blocker. Like you would watch him his backside double teams with Martin whenever they run outside zone, and you see Fulton drive the drive the defensive end, you know, all the way to the left. And Martin's just like you know doesn't know what to do with all his power, is just holding on to the chest for dear life. But Martin's staying on the block, and Fulton's able to cut off that linebacker. On the play side, it's so, like I saw a lot of that. Like, and this is just watching it live and going back and watching a little bit of the condensed so far. And uh, I think Fulton had a really nice game, though. And I think that was the second biggest thing about it, because again, like going back to you know 2016, the last time this offensive line was any good, they haven't been able to block the second level at all whatsoever, which right. just really limit you know the ability for Miller to make, uh, to make broken tackle attempts at the second level in open field. And uh, and so like I know he's always finished like around the bottom of the league and broken tackles because of that. And so like you actually saw like Johnson one versus one, you saw Hive one versus one with space, and they were able to just really use their wheels. And I'm really excited to watch like Duke Johnson as a number one number one running back, and and even Hive was a lot better than I thought he was going to be after like you mentioned last week, and after you know the numbers indicate, and what I said last week as well too that he just hasn't been good for three years, especially considering his age. And he looked spry, like he looked healthy. He, he looked, did. He looked like he was enjoying himself.
1: I, I just I was speechless watching him run because that's not the same guy I watched last couple of years. That's mm. just not. I mean, the guy that I saw the last couple of years is slow and plodding and indecisive.
0: Yeah, and I and I think a lot of it too is just it's not alpha blue, and so I think everything just looks so much better. Yeah, once you get out of that light. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to go back and hopefully I can have enough time to watch the all 22. I still need to watch like Josh Allen versus the New York Jets and the the Rams Panthers game and that sort of thing first, but. Uh, hopefully I can get to it, you know, sometime this week. So the I think the, really the biggest saying about this entire game, we'll talk about the defense in just a second, but Houston scored 28 points, and so they're now four and 33 in games where they allowed 22 points from the Bill O'Brien era, and that's my favorite stat. Like ever, I'm so glad Rivers found that stat. So right. do you think the offense can be bumped up another level and start putting up, you know, 28 to 31 points a game because they did score 28 in this game and they lost 30 28. Can they score like 31, 34, and those sorts of outputs to be able to make up for their defense that's probably going to be bad this year?
1: I, I think they've got the capability of it for sure. Um, having Kenny Stills kind of a sub in and have, has a, he's a replacement for Kiki Cutie I think is a real help. I mean he's not, he's not a stud, but he does give you kind of the same skill set that Cutie does. And so I really like seeing him play last night. He's going to get a lot more snaps, especially if Cutie stays out. Uh, DeAndre Carter does not suck.
0: He didn't do anything all yeah. yesterday, though. He, they he didn't, didn't do anything. They didn't target but... the slot very much. Like they didn't target the slot as far as those sort of routes. They there wasn't drags and slants from the slot. It was like it was like deeper slants and posts and seams mm. that sort of thing.
1: More of the Fuller Hopkins kind of range. Yeah,
0: whenever they were lined up in the slot out there.
1: But that throw to, to uh, Stills was, man, that was perfect. Yeah. So um, I think they certainly have the capability of doing it. I mean, cl- clearly, tight end is still a, a big problem on the roster. But, yeah, they could put up 30, 35 points a game if they wanted to. And hopefully last night shows us that maybe they want to this year. Maybe they're going to, you know, <laughs> not establish the run game at all costs like they had a, ten- have, had a tendency to do since Bill O'Brien came aboard.
0: Yeah. Uh, and you can smell the tie-ins real fast, too. I, I have a prediction to make. I don't think Cahale Waring is a Bill O'Brien type of guy. No.
1: No, uh, and he he's, already, at all whatsoever. he's already in the doghouse. Yeah. I mean, how can – it's like if the guys have any sort of personality whatsoever, then they're not a Bill O'Brien kind of guy.
0: Yeah, I think I think Warren may be too hot for Bill O'Brien. He's jealous yeah. of his
1: looks or something.
0: He's too much of a Chad for Bill O'Brien. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I'd like I think the Titans can be competent. The whole Robinson thing kind of sucks. I think, I mean, the whole Jordan Thomas thing kind of sucks is because he's a good red zone threat. He's better than Akins is, but he's on IR. And then they partly did that as well too, so they can make room to have Fells and then. Whoever the other third tight is uh, on the roster too, but yeah, and the the stills catch was great. It was a great route. And also, I mean, he just burned PJ Williams, and it was a perfect throw by Watson. The only thing I didn't like about it was how much they celebrated, like after that moment and on the sideline, because you're like, it's Drew Brees. And they have 27 seconds left. They haven't been able to cover anybody at all. They've gotten zero pass rush, pass rush whatsoever. Uh, it's not over yet. Just hold on, hold on one second. So the Texans. They couldn't get to Drew Brees at all last night. He was sacked once. He was hit only three times. Uh, as I watched the game, I was counting pressures. I counted only seven of his 43 dropbacks. Whitney Merciless had the only sack. He had a quarterback hit. He had interception. Angelo Blackson had one quarterback hit. Uh, new New Seahawk, or I guess new ex-Seahawk, now Texan. Uh, Jacob Martin had one quarterback hit, too. JJ uh, Watt put a goose egg across the board. He, I think he had zero tackles, too, zero quarterback hits. Uh, I know the one thing he was able to do was draw a holding penalty against Ryan Ramchak, but throughout the game, Ryan Ramchak held him you know, completely in place. It was like last year, whenever you saw Braden Smith against JJ Watt, Braden Smith was able to lock down him too. And whenever Watt's not going up against Corey Robinson, Chad Wheeler, um, he's, not, he's not putting up the same production that he's had before too. So let's talk about Watt first. What did you see from this game and why do you think he was as ineffective as he was?
1: Well, because he had no help because they were going out of his way. They were going out of their way to make sure he was, you know, double teamed and at times kind of triple teamed. Um, They, and you know, the honest truth is is Walt did not look even that great last night. I mean, did he put up a a single counting stat last night?
0: I don't believe so. I think he had had zero, even zero run tackles too.
1: Yeah. He just didn't look the same.
0: Uh, And so,
1: and, He's not a guy who's going to, at this point, I mean, J.J. Watt's 30 years old. He has hit that 30-year-old wall, and it's very much a thing that football players, when they hit 30, they're on the downside. And so I just, you know, last night's J.J. J. Watt performance really worried me.
0: Yeah, and well, on defensive ends, too, they, they hit their peak at 26 years old, and so Watt's on the other side of that peak, and he's also played one healthy season in the last three years, too. Uh, with Watt, the biggest thing I saw is that Ramchek's really good, and he met at the point attack. Watt was able to get to the outside shoulder, and Ryan Ramchek did a great job timing his punch too. Like he didn't, he did have to deal. Like Watt was able to knock it away. That's what Watt kept trying to do: swat his punch away. But you see, Ramchek can consistently vary the timing of his punch, where he held on a little bit longer, attacked a little bit sooner, and then also you, I want to see Watt from the interior more. And when they start looping, looping around the interior, there's three guys blocking him, and he's just like uh it's like, I just remind like a zombie movie when there's like a hundred zombie strengths in my apart. Like this is what look looked like on the interior and there's no space for me either. So I, so I don't know, like as whenever they play against any good, competent uh, pass blocking tackles and they're going to have issues.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And, um, you know, Merciless had the sack yesterday. We had almost no pressures and Merciless was, looked like kind of like a blown assignment, even on that sack. We're not going to create much pressure. I mean, that was a really good offensive line. It's going to be one of the better ones we face, but we're going to have a really difficult time creating pressure this year.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think, and I think the offensive line is important to talk about here because the Saints do have a top five offensive line, pass protecting-wise, over the last five years, and it's breezing spill out quickly. But again, like Watt last year against good tackles, he, troubled, he had trouble uh, creating pressure. And then also, you can put as much attention to him as you want because they lack a third option. Yeah, I you know, I think the thing with Watt though we'll have to deal with throughout or we'll have to, we'll be seeing the entire year is just that the Texans don't have like another guy at all who can take advantage of one versus one opportunities. Whenever he does get double and triple team on the inside. And so like, even if he's there, he's gonna deal with a bunch of bodies and he doesn't have anybody else who can do, deal with individual blocks. Merciless was fine, like he had a good game. Like you mentioned that sat against Armstead, it looked like he was blocking down in a rollout and he was able to slip around uh, the outside and make that play behind him. And like a lot of the argument I've seen a lot of the discourse I've seen online is that, yeah, well, we don't, Clowny's not important because we have Merciless or whatever. And the thing is, is that it's okay to have more than two pass rushers. It's good to have three pass rushers. It's good to have four pass rushers. The more pass rushers you have is, uh, is he, is the better. And so, like, throughout this game, like, the entire time you're like, yeah, if Clowney was here and you have Watt looping on the inside and then he's taking three blockers, Clowney can actually make a play happen. And I thought like, the, the one matchup available to him was to attack Eric McCoy. Uh, you know, in years past, they've used Clowney as a kind of a dive-bomb blitzer who had you know, bungee jump right before the line of scrimmage and, and attack the A-gap, and they don't have that at all anymore uh, with this team as well too. And so that whole entire thing is frustrating. And I know you know like some of the things that have been said is that you know, we're hampering too much on uh, that's already happened. this in the past, but it's important to look at for this entire season because whenever you have Drew Brees sacked once, only three times, and you have a defense that relies on pressure as much as Houston's defense does, it's going to matter throughout this entire season as well too. Um, so, like for this past version for this defense, like do you think this pa- this defense is going to get any better, or do you think we're just going to consistently see games where so they give up 30 points a game throughout the entire year?
1: I don't think there's any reason to think they're going to get better. I mean, today, we we can talk about, you know, we cut Aaron Colvin today and replaced him with Philip Gaines. That's not a net gain for us. And, you know, as bad as Colvin has been, and he's been bad, Philip Gaines is going to be worse. So I don't know at what point we actually get better defensively. The other big deal is, and I hate to say it because I've been – you know, I, I'm one of his biggest fans, that's all there is to it, is Romeo Cornell, I think, has just kind of out of touch at this point. I don't think that he quite understands that the offenses have changed as radically as they have. And then when he's given this personnel that he's given, he's he's got little to no speed defensively on in a secondary. Um, I think that hurts him. I, I do. And so he just kind of doesn't know what to do. We played a lot more man than I thought we'd play. We also gave up 510 yards last night. Mm-hmm. So my call for the 600 yeah. total yards was pretty darn close.
0: I think you said 500.
1: It was 600.
0: You said 600. And there, yeah. somebody had, oh, the Ravens had 600 yards yeah. against the Dolphins, but yeah.
1: <laughs> so, you know, as, as part personnel, partly, you know, we can't, we don't have the personnel to play man coverage. So that was kind of a shock to me. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know. I don't see how this team can even remotely improve defensively with the current personnel they have and we're not going to get anything better than Philip Gaines type guys off the waiver wire at this point. We aren't, we're not going to get a pass rusher. Hey, why don't we just take one in the first or second round next? Oh,
0: or why don't we trade a first round pick for, Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's kind of good. So, they don't have any draft capital. We can trade away as well too for like DJ Hayden or something, you know?
1: Right. Right. And I, I think that's the thing we do. I mean, if it's a Bob guy, then it's a the thing we're going to do, you know? He knows where the stadium's at. He he yells a lot. That's a that's a Bill O'Brien guy. I mean, that seems to be what it takes.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I'm glad Brent Scarlett's a Bill O'Brien guy too. I, I he's starting in place of as the other outside linebacker position. Just brutal. Like doing nothing at all out there. I think he put a put a goose egg as well too. Uh, they the interior rush like Blackson got through one time. Reader pushed the pocket, but like there was really nothing there. The only time I ever saw any pressure was just the off occasion where the pass coverage was good and. Breeze didn't have anywhere to go and he was kind of stuck like scram like you know, seeping out to the right side of the pocket, looking, 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 and not finding anything at all whatsoever. But yeah, I think it's gonna be bad all year. Uh the one thing about this game though, is us saying about the defense is bad. They did give up three points. They did only allow three points in the first half. They allowed twenty seven points in the second half. What was the biggest difference between the first and second half in this one?
1: Drew Brees throwing a red zone interception.
0: Yeah, that was important.
1: That's pretty much it. That was that was a brutal pick. I mean, like that was a great job by Merciless. Let's not take it away from Merciless, but that's a ball that Drew Brees doesn't normally throw, and uh, it was incredibly off target. And I don't even know where he was trying to put it. I mean, Merciless had was it Kamara? It was Kamara he was trying to throw it to. Merciless had him covered perfectly. I mean, I wish our defensive backs had those kind of coverage and hand skills.
0: Yeah, it looked kind of like the interception Kevin Bayard had. Baker Mayfield. Yeah, and he like he looped back around and kind of you know like flushed the log down the toilet uh, and made that play. I what I saw was that like watching this game in the first half is like the team that's going to win this game is going to be the one who realizes running the ball is stupid. But like each team is able to break some big runs and also just like focusing on throwing the ball not at the line of scrimmage, not five yards past the line of scrimmage, but getting the ball ten yards pl- past, fifteen yards past. And I think that was the biggest difference with Breeze was that he started throwing the ball, you know, past that immediate first level where Cunningham can make tackles, McKinney can make tackles, um, where you know Eric Reed could come in and make some plays here there too. Because on passes that went plus over ten yards past the line of scrimmage through the air, Breeze was twelve for fifteen for two hundred fifteen yards and two touchdowns. And the second half, that's what I saw. They actually went past that you know initial level, went over over that portion of it. And like going back to like Cornell's defense, I think the problem that he had in this game. Was he had no answer at all for the interior? You can't play Joseph in the slot. I think you could play Roby in the slot, but you're having Tayshon Gibson versus Michael Thomas in man coverage. You're having Aaron Colvin in the slot in man coverage. Um, you had uh, Cunningham really struggled trying to deal with Kamar in this game too, and they just didn't have an answer at all for the middle part of the field. And like whenever, and you have Reed just playing center field back there and just making a bunch of cleanup tackles. And throughout the entire game, they were relentless and ruthless at attacking that part of the field too.
1: Yeah, and Justin Reed did not have a good evening either. I mean, he got stuck with, with Ted Ginn, it seemed like, far too often. That, th- those weren't pretty matchups that we had last night. And, and, you know, we talked about it. We knew that this was going to be a big problem for the game. But, man, that was even uglier than I expected. Um, no, that no, was about what I expected. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and Reed also, I think the worst play in the game was that Latavius Murray touchdown. He was the oh, guy God. who had to make that tackle. And he looked like Ronnie Harrison against the Chiefs, where Harrison comes down, misses Sammy Watkins. And then he's gone after that point. and That was the same thing with Reed. He took a bad pursuit angle, uh, and then dove and and pretty much just run, like bounced right off his ankle. You know,
1: right? No, that was terrible. I mean, that was way too easy. That's you don't see many easier touchdown runs than that one.
0: Yeah, and Murray didn't even have a good game either. Aside from that run, he was really like frustrated. He was mad out there. Like, you you could tell, kind of tell that he wanted more carries than what he got. Um, whenever he did carry the ball, was stuff for like two yards, three yards, um, and that sort of thing.
1: Well, he's also hurt.
0: Yeah, well, and he—I mean—he ended up with seven point two yards of carry. Me saying this because he had a longer thirty on that touchdown. Uh, but so the the Saints passing game, Kamara had seven catches on eight targets for seventy two <laughs> yards. Ted Ginn, the perfect game, seven catches <laughs> on seven targets, one hundred one yards. A longer forty one against Eric Colvin on that on that uh, four vert seam that he beat him on. Uh, he had a longer forty one that pass traveled twenty plus yards through the air. Michael Thomas, 10 of 13 for 123, 123 yards also. And this kind of goes back to the same thing. These are all guys who attack the middle of the field. And you mentioned Colvin. Colvin was cut today. The Texans were 28th against slot receivers by DVOA last season. And this was an issue going into this year. They did nothing at all to add to it. They signed Brian Body Calhoun as like a, as like a camp body to compete with Colvin. He was cut. They drafted Xavier Crawford. He's, you know, I'm not expecting very much from him. And they drafted Line Johnson in the second round, but Johnson's not a guy who can play the slot at all. He has legitimate issues playing man coverage. He's like a physical guy. He could want to play like cover four, cover three, but nothing in man at all. Uh, so I, I don't see this issue getting any better at all. I think throughout the entire year, teams who can th- teams are going to look to throw the ball to the center of the field. They're going to keep Roby and Joseph on the sidelines, not to mess with them at all whatsoever, and keep kind of throwing and attacking these spots because every 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 defender that was in that section of the field was beat. You saw Cunningham beat, you saw Gibson beat, you saw Colvin beat, you saw Reed beat. Uh, and even you'll know, me saying that, like, Robich deals with problems with number one wide receivers. Uh, Joseph deals with fast receivers. So it's not with like the outside solidify at all whatsoever. Like, the entire passing game is just wide open for teams to be rampant and attack. And uh, and I don't, I don't think it's going to get any better. Like, I think the Saints could have scored 45 points this game if they were throwing the ball like they did in the second half and the first half instead of kind of dipping their toe in the water and feeling it out and running as much as they did and running so many passes out or near the line of scrimmage.
1: Yeah, that was, I remember even, you know, typing that during the uh, hair of the dog thread is the saints cannot, you know, run the, cannot rush the ball against the Texans. And it was just stupid to try to do so early on. And then when they got away from it, uh, you know, they, they tore us apart. I mean, just to look at the last, what was it the last eight minutes and 30 seconds of that game? They just did what they wanted to at will.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the the run game, too. Like, you know, we talked about Houston a little bit ago about why we thought they had a pretty good running attack this game. Because, again, you know, Murray averaged 7.2 yards of carry. And that was because of a, you know, a long of 30 yards. Alvin Kamara averaged 7.5 yards of carry. That was because of a long of 28. Uh, but if you remove these two runs, it still comes out to 4.73 yards of carry. And Kamara did break 10 tackles last night, too. So. Like I, I think the same thing that we talked about with why the Texans run defense was good, or why the Texans run offense was good, is the same thing for the Saints too. They were able to block one guy at the second level, they ran the ball against Houston's nickel defense, and they didn't really, whenever they came up against uh, Lyra Boxes and got Houston on their base, they weren't able to, to stop uh, New Orleans very well at all. And then you have Kamar, who's just like, I mean, he's absurd. Like, I've never yeah. seen him fall backwards and like he was just like coming to a bot, like three different bodies at once, and somehow you dig a tunnel underneath the field, and then you reappear twenty five yards later.
1: Yeah, no, the guy is insane. I, you know, they were talking about. By the way, the, the 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 um cast last night that was calling the game was terrible. They were just so freaking bad. It was ridiculous. Oh boogers, they,
0: oh
1: gosh, it's so bad. And they were talking about how you know Houston. Need, Uh, I'm sorry, the Saints needed to establish the run and that sort of thing. was so stupid. But um, yeah, the 10 missed tackles for Alvin Kamara. I mean, look, the Texans aren't even going to tackle well this year. You want to talk about 2018 and how we tackled?
0: Yeah, so they were 26 in tackle rate last year, and I thought they were a lot better at tackling than that. I've always kind of thought of them as a pretty good tackle team. Uh, But Cunningham and McKinney combined missed 25 tackles last year. Watt missed 12 tackles last year, too. Um, and so like it, it is a, a good tackling team, and so I was kind of surprised by that after going back and looking at the numbers. So the the Saints in the second half, are you ready for their drives? Oh, yes. Let's right. get to it. Uh, five plays, 83 yards touchdown. 11 plays, 75 yards touchdown. Four plays, 49 yards touchdown. Four plays, 25 yards punt. Eight plays, 64 yards field goal. Six plays, 37 seconds, 35 yards field goal. And that comes out to, uh, twenty-seven points. <laughs> <And> the <laughs> math is right.
1: And they it just—it was at will. I mean, look at you know a lot of the eleven-play drive was the only one that took any you know, was like a challenge at all to them. Otherwise, they just did what they wanted to. Hey, we're just going to throw it again. We're just going to throw the Kamara, let them miss you know ten tackles in the game. You know, Mike Thomas did what we thought he was going to do. Um, uh, Smith had that beautiful touchdown catch. You know. That that's going to be our defense this year. It's not going to be just Drew Brees. We play a lot of good quarterbacks this year. Drew Brees is just one of them.
0: Yeah, and this is a, and this is Brees like a good second half, wasn't that Good the first half, and like I'm still like apprehensive on the on the like I know like a lot of people said, well, we played a Super Bowl contender at, on the road, you know, in the dome, that sort of thing. I'm I'm still wary about the Saints, especially if their run defense isn't. Uh, as great as it was going to be last year. Because I'm still expecting, you know, Drew Brees swoon after seven games or so. And I think Sean Pang is too cute with this offense, too. Like, I think yeah. it takes them too long to figure out what they should be doing to move the ball um, as well. So, like, yeah, like I'm, I I enjoyed the game I think They played well. But, again, the, like, the issues that we saw entering into the year are still here. And I think that's, become, that's kind of like the frustrating thing, too, is that you have Watson being as miraculous as he is. And you know that there's this other reality out there, this, like, you have this other thing. You can feel it, and you know it's there. And this team should be a lot better than it is. They had such an incredible chance to get better this offseason. They did it, and they're pretty much—they have the same problems they had last year. Secondary, offensive line, another pass rusher. The same thing this year, despite having four top 100 picks and 78 million million in draft capital. Uh, they had zero players from their draft class this year playing all offensive or defensive snap this game. Zero. Uh, they had— they had some special team snaps like Lonnie Johnson played thirteen, sharping it, sharping on special teams, Tyus Howard's hurt, kale Warring's hurt, Crawford doesn't play at all. Um, and then also Jalas Bia played some you know special teams too, but zero offensive defensive snaps for a team of four top one hundred draft picks, and that's absolutely unheard of, too. And so like we're we're seeing a team with Watson, who's in his third year, who's an MVP candidate on a rookie contract, and it really doesn't matter because of the same problems that are here and how badly this team botched this entire past offseason. Um and it just keeps getting dumber and dumber too. Like I thought it was bad, like in May, and then it just somehow keeps getting worse. And uh and like there again, like there it should be so much better. Like there's another reality out there. I can see it. Like I watch them play, I'm like, this should be a Super Bowl contending team, and they should have beat the same spot thirteen points, fourteen points, seventeen points yesterday. And so here we are where they have this miraculous play. Uh miraculous comeback and kick his 58-yard field goal to win it, you know?
1: Yeah, well, let me, let me just pile on a little bit to how bad. The, it's no longer the off season technically, I guess. I'm still going to call cut, it I'm, I'm yeah, just right. saying, so
0: every, every bad personnel decision is still the offseason. Like, it's, it's, it's just all rolled into one thing.
1: I'm not even going to argue with that because it makes too much sense. So we cut Aaron Colvin today, and we got Philip Gaines. In seven games with the Bills last year when Gaines was actually seeing the field, he committed a hundred and thirty-one yards worth of penalties. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not upgrading. We're not upgrading. It's it's just going to be the different crap. It's, and
0: it's, it's also kind of funny too that he played for Buffalo and game was notorious for like finding players to Buffalo because he was there. Uh, or, like, being interested in players from Buffalo. And it's like Bill O'Brien logged on the computer, on Brian Gaines' little computer, and, like, (laughs) pulled up his scouting reports. He's like, yeah, let's go with this guy that Brian uh, thought pretty okay of uh, last year or whatever.
1: I just don't even... I can't even anymore. This team is so poorly mismanaged from so many standpoints. And then you have... Look at the offense. You got Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, and... uh, it's just frustrating. It's frustrating.
0: Yeah. And that was the other thing that became apparent to the game to me yesterday. It was like, after the third drive, it was like, okay, so this team has plenty of holes, has plenty of flaws, but the top end talent here is so like tremendous that they can be able to still play and compete um, despite everything of the other issues here, as long as they you know stay relatively healthy. And so, again, this like this is a frustrating ballot. Like, the game was fun yesterday. It was enjoyable. They played the Saints close. They should have won that game, whatever. But at the same time, like it's it's just exasperating just the amount of problems that they have that they shouldn't be having. and how blatant these problems were entering this offseason season for them to still be here. It's just it i I, I just can't get over it. I really can't. Um,
1: I, I, if a couple of dumbass bloggers in their mother's basements, can see this stuff how can the Texans front office and we know the answer now brian gain was a moron like brian gain should not ever be in charge of anything football related ever again i mean we have a body of work that tells me he has no idea what's going on yeah that but i mean we we've called this so why didn't we go sign johnny paradis to play center you know we're we're giving martin more money to do the same work but worse
0: yeah that for sure
1: well,
0: even and the game thing too, like I don't even know how it's impossible to know how much of it was on him because him and O'Brien were supposed to be working in tandem and O'Brien found on personnel decisions too. And so, I mean, like, I don't even know how good or bad Gain is at his job because I liked what he did in 2018, seven, the Colvin signing. Um, but like this year, like I, I'm just, I'm perplexed by the whole thing. And I think Bill O'Brien had a lot more to do with it than just gain, you know? And I think that's whole scapegoating thing is why, even if yeah. Houston goes 6 and 10 this year, uh, he'll still have a job. But the last question I have for you tonight is the Texans' run defense last year was the best in football. It was good this game, like we mentioned, in base defense, but they're at to the play against really good running backs. Like Alvin Kamara is not the only one. Uh, they have Jackson and Fournette. Fournette looked a lot faster last week. They have Henry in Tennessee, uh, who. Hit like twenty one miles per hour again. Yes, uh, in that screen pass he had. Like he weighs two sixty and hits twenty one miles per hour, which is absurd. Marlon Mack broke a bunch of tackles, had one hundred sixty plus yards rushing. Uh, they play Baltimore and Ingram, and in they're stable. And so like the run heavy teams that they play have really good right running backs. They have good offensive lines too. Uh, so do you have any concerns about this run defense throughout this year? And you, are you expecting it to still be maybe like a top ten one after this game?
1: I still think it's going to be top, even a top five. Um, I, I still think that highly of them, but we're not going to be the same that we were last year. Again, we were historically, you know, as a number eight DVOA since 1986. You that,
0: know, and that's as far back as DVOA goes
1: too. As far back as it goes. And mm-hmm. it was close to being number one. I mean, we're we're talking like we're just, you know, shaving at that point in time. So I, this is still going to be a really good run defense. But when you start thinking about who we played last year, we played the, the quarterbacks that we played and the running backs we played were all kind of pretty bad. They were all, like, yeah, they, the combos were bad. They weren't
0: great running offenses, except for Denver had a very good one, but they had to run the ball because they couldn't, because it, it was a safer option. It was a better option, you know?
1: So I might be too high. I mean, saying they're top five might be over-optimistic, especially after last night, because we're not going to be the same without Clowney.
0: We're, yeah. we're not. I might... and We're not going to be Go ahead. I was just saying, my concerns are in base because I think whenever they have, you know, they're all their big men on the on the defensive line, I um, think they'll be good in that. Because like you have McKinney and Cunningham going get, with like uh, like a guy like Reader taking on double teams that sort of thing. But whenever they're in nickel, that's where I have concerns. And without Clowney, what you're missing out on is all those just like huge negative plays or plays where he takes out three blockers at once, and then it's just. He's the, he's the grenade that blows down the door and then the SWAT team comes running through and cleans everything up and so they're missing that and that also kind of directly plays into the pass defense where you're not going to have as many second 11 uh down situations or you know third and nine you're gonna have more second and sixes more you know third and fours and that sort of thing too so yeah I mean I don't know I don't really have a feel for it I'd still guess it'd be a top 10 one like I picked last week. I don't want to go to like at, be pulled so much in one direction because of one game. Um, but I still, I have like concerns now that I didn't have before entering this game too. <laughs> You're
1: right. I, I did. I thought we were going to be better against, but we're not. The difference is just too, stri- too stark. It's too striking that Clowney blow blew a lot of stuff up and, and, you know, look what he did in Seattle. He had a great game and limited snaps in Seattle. He picked up a sack. He got a batted pass, you know, Clowney is a really good football player.
0: Yeah, well, in the Clowny too, I like I feel like I'm talking about like an ex girlfriend. Wait, like I'm on like a first day, and I'm just talking about my ex girlfriend the entire time. But uh, Clowny, like in that game, he hadn't played in that defense before. He hadn't played it all too. And like last year, he wasn't good for the first three weeks of the season, and then all of a he turned around, uh, turn it all on week four. And so like I expect for Clowny to be a lot better. But yeah, he was good against Cincinnati. He kind of disappeared in the second half. It looked like he got tired, but uh, he was able to you know do that same swipe, uh, cross swim combination where he swipes the punch away and swims over the top that interception he almost had came on a screen pass that he kind of read and sat and it was oh like he probably should have picked that off and scored on it too uh and just like the amount of like times he beats the block immediately is charging for a sack and the quarterback gets it out it's kind of unfair like i don't know i think of all the of all the guys who uh out there who like who should have more sacks clients number one i saw some some stat yesterday that he led the league in pass blocking win rate in that game too where he's like beating his block it's and has right. a pass to the quarterback, but the ball is out before it. And uh, and the Bengals had a had a cool game plan. Like they really spread the ball out and they ran like a lot of five wide receiver sets against the Seahawks zone defense. They found a lot of holes in the zone that one. And Dalton threw for 450 yards. And like again, like the argument against Clowney is by people who are just looking at the box score, not watching the game at all because he did have a very good game um, yesterday. Not as good as he would have had if he had a whole summer in Houston coming into this year at the age of twenty six at his prime. But uh, he had a very good game and I'm still like disgusted. Seahawks fans get to enjoy it instead of instead of Houston like getting another year of Watt and clowney. And like Houston's also less fun to watch too without him too. And that's kind of the other downside to that whole miserable trade and everything else. And where was Barcavius Mingo yesterday? Is he out there? Where was he?
1: I don't think he's played a snap. I didn't look at the snap counts yet, but I don't think he played a single snap.
0: Yeah. Whatever.
1: What a waste. He, I mean, he was just, you know, he hasn't been a good football player ever since college. So whatever.
0: Yeah, I, I was excited for him whenever he got drafted by Cleveland, just because his name's Barkavious. He's playing for the Browns and everything else. Like, oh, it's just like such a perfect name plays combination. But yeah, he's bad. Um, but yeah, that's all. Is there anything else you want to bring up for this game at all? You have anything else weighing on your tongue at all?
1: Nah, I think that's it.
0: Okay. Well, cool. Well, so that's all we have for the show tonight. Uh, we'll try to do a, a game preview sometime later on this week because the Texans do play at 12 o'clock on Sunday against Gardner Vishnu and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And uh, it's a, a must—I I don't know. You can't really call it a must-win game yet. I think if you're 0-2 entering Week 3, it's pretty much a must-win game. But it's like a game I think Houston has to win if they're going to be a playoff team this year. Well, they have, to win all, they have to be all the run-heavy teams that they can and then win enough of these close shootout games to have a shot at it. Uh, but yeah, like after watching Vishnu, I think it's going to be a really fun time on Sunday.
1: Yeah, and the dude looked, like, competent. It was crazy.
0: Yeah, and, like, he also, it wasn't all, like, easy short throws and a blowout at all. No. These are some sideline heaves. Like, these are some windows that he was making some throws to. And so I'm excited to write the game preview for because I have a bunch of, like, fun gifts from it. Uh, and DJ Chark, like, he had one catch last year against Kansas <laughs> City. I was like, this guy, that's something right there. And here he is, and he's, like, a top-10 wide receiver, which is fun, too.
1: He, he looked really good. I mean, a he's a big, faster. tall, fast dude. Yeah,
0: he's a lot faster than he was last year. And same with so, Sammy Watkins, too. Like, Watkins has never moved that well Watkins, before. No, like, no, he's never he, he never has.
1: He never had that quicks. That's The Chiefs are so scary. Yeah. The Chiefs are so freaking scary.
0: And even without Hill, they're going to be fine. Uh, But, yeah, I, so I have Watkins in three fantasy leagues, all three leagues I play him. I, <laughs> I had him on the bench in all three. I still went two and one, but it's just like that 55 points sitting there, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, Nobody cares about your fantasy team. I
0: know. I just had to say it though.
1: Right. Right. Oh, I'm hip. Yeah. Oh, and I, by the way, I beat Brett.
0: Good. Good.
1: Yeah. Good. And I taunted him with it on Twitter. I'm
0: glad after how, like he made us wait 35 minutes for him to log on. I'm glad you beat him. (laughs) Right. I was, I was also, he also posted some tweet like about like his team or whatever. He's like, this is my team in this league. I'm like, you have the fourth best team in this league. Like why why don't you post the good teams in there? But, uh, Yes, yeah, so it's uh-huh. fun. It's a fun league. I'm really hoping I can cut the sleeves off this shirt this year. Good luck with that. Yeah, I'm so tired of being a bridesmaid in it. But uh, so, anyways, thankful to Red Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Thank you for being on tonight, BFD. And again, sometime this week, we'll try to get a preview show done. I am going to go see the Texas Rangers play outside, out of the air condition for one last time. So I'm going I'm to try to do my best to see if we can get a show going uh, for a preview for the Jags hand this week.
1: Woo!